there you have it. They don't really care about us. What are your thoughts in 2020 on the 1996 song produced by Michael Jackson explaining to the world all the travesties and that they don't really care about us. Do you agree? Here's what I found in 2021, especially in giving back to the community. When I say community, I mean giving back to humanity, the collective of us, doing our part or my part that would see individual people elevated in their right mental state to see people happier and joyful, to see families protected, and most of all, to see a lot of the uh, trip traps that are out there really to be eliminated. I feel based on history, and I've had a magnificent time delving into the ocean of history, and you gotta know how to swim. <laughs> You've got to know how to swim in this ocean, in this seas, because it's it's very deep. It can be very, um, you know, when waters get very full bodied and, you know, can move you around a lot if you don't have the right posture in there. So yes, it's, you're gonna need to be equipped. Um, and so what history has shown when I kind of looked at what is really happening in race relations? What's, why is all this happening? And what I always like to keep reminding myself in that question is why does the world hate Negro people? Like, what did we do? Can't imagine what it was like growing up as a child wanting to have this question answered. And so coming across the uh, godfathers here of Europe, I have found them again to be, while very outspoken and no hold back, I do appreciate the uh, Fort Reif in what they've had to say. And a lot have spent most of their time really around geneticism and eugenics. And um, it all had to do with good genes. Yes, and good gene survival. And a lot of their works, it didn't matter which sect of ideology they were with. They could have been Puritans, they could have been Calvinists, they could have been Seventh-day Adventists. In fact, I have found so many of these religious folks really in the background of a lot of ideologies and social practices that are here even today. And reading some of their notes has been fascinating, like when it came to hygiene, um, I know that this was a woman that was instrumental with this one, and I forgot which religion sect she was part of, but um, I will bring her information up a lot more. But another one who's a female who was also instrumental during that time was Helena Blatsky. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, but throughout my research recently, I've been finding her name popping up in so many places. 
especially now with the movement in terms of where we're headed to. So I will touch on her a lot more because she's an interesting figure. And I'm going to return a little bit more to the males now. And the males have been quite fascinating in how they have outspoken, have been outspoken. Um, when you look outside of their theories in terms of geneticism or eugenics and the comparison between Negro and white European genetic makeup, I guess you call it that, they have a lot of other ideologies that were fairly cool. It's kind of like they have essences of stuff that makes sense, like whether it's your daily habits, certain um, disciplines, um, very strict, rigid ways of being that I found very fascinating. And it takes like a lot of um, attention to detail. So I found this very enriching about the forefathers and a lot of the things that they did. And it was challenging, you know, first of all, reading one set of their notes saying something about Negroes and how they thought of them in such a deplorable nature or state. And then in other ideologies, when they're breaking down things in terms of nature or other components, it's like, okay, you get the science, you get this element. So how do you go from here to then seeing Negroes as like what you're saying you see them as? And this has been quite a fascinating component of research. And why I'm taking you down this road is because, well, we've heard Michael Jackson in that opening song, which came out in 1996. This song was powerful at the time it was released. It covered a lot of the issues that we were facing up until that time, from the Vietnam War to the Rodney King beatings to a lot of other um, cultural issues that we were facing at that time, bringing up past leaders like um, Roosevelt even, he said Roosevelt, if he was around, he wouldn't stand for this. If uh, Martin Luther King was around, he wouldn't stand for this. And so the question is, who's around? Why this is allowed to happen now in 2021? Where's the people going to stand and stand up for what's right now in the age of information? And this is why I'm returning it to what's really going on. And maybe they don't really care about us because it's really a gene factor. It's survival of the fittest for them. And when we're looking at something from a gene factor, I mean, can you really care about the person you want to see taken down so your family can survive? In the ideal world, we shouldn't want to be taking others down, but in the world that it's created, let's just face it, the social issues and political system and economic structure we're built on is one built on eugenicism genetic survival, right? And so CNN's article, White Supremacy, uh, that recently came out is um, White Supremacy with a Tan is a very timely article. I want to say that a lot of our African scholars have been the pioneers. In case you don't know this, I believe it's very important to give credit to where credit is due. And had it not been for Afrocentric, melanated scholars who were rebuffed, who were marginalized for the truth, who were having to meet in the most awkward of places and spaces to get the knowledge out there and have written immense or numerous amounts of books, have held numerous amounts of seminars and conferences and produced lots of work, 
we really need to take a moment and give a round of applause for these melanated Afrocentric scholars. Yes, for had it not been for their work in bringing forward a lot of the truth in science, they really rocked the world in the European ideology that was being sold to the masses to the point that you now see CNN has to sort of come out with their version of what really has been going on. In taking in, in using the example of a very prominent scholar and historian, Dr. Frances Cress Wesling, she has been, oh my goodness, instrumental in bringing forth a lot of the scientific evidence for genetic survival when it came to the European race. While, yes, it is true, she did speak on it based on a white supremacy ideology, but let's be real, European people, okay? You don't get to be white today, and then when white people, and when people are speaking about white culture and speaking about the truth, you deny it. And then now today, we're now saying that anyone can be white. It's a status thing. Okay. I want you to see how what's happening is the cloak seems to change whenever it's necessary to change. And by doing that, we're kind of overstepping the areas that are essential to touch on. So let me just take CNN's article, which is white supremacy. Okay. With a 10. And we'll save the tan part aside and go into white supremacy. One of the reasons a lot of white folks or everyday white people had an issue with this white supremacy thing is because they're, maybe they're not walking around every day saying I'm better than anyone else. So for the average white person, they feel like um, I'm a European. I never really called myself white, etc. cetera. I, I know I'm identified as white maybe, but maybe not so attached per se you would have normally identified with your cultural heritage. However, in certain countries, like if you're in America, especially if you're in America, you know that you kind of had given up that natural um, culture you had to become that American white, which is really what happened over time. I'll share some more information in terms of data and statistics on that. But um, to give you a quick summary, America, while it was building itself out, it, it was accepting people gradually who were not necessarily Anglo-Saxon European, but other cultures, and were slowly expanding the white race based on this status that I guess only certain people knew, but the rest of the people didn't know. So let's just put it like Negro people didn't know and white people didn't know, the people who were working for the people who I guess did know. So now you have Negro people suffering, let's just put it up until now when CNN is now deciding to write this article for being Negro, for their truth, for their existence, over the wrong ideologies that their co-workers who are Anglo-Saxon might have had, and all these years of racial dynamics and struggle, when we all could have known from a long time ago that white is a way of being, not a race. You see, in Virginia, they put it into the law that it was a race. How would anybody else think anything different? You made it a law, 
You made people throw away their Negro children because they wanted to have white status. Okay, so because of this law back in the day, you destroyed families. Let's just face it. Families were destroyed, were destroyed. Because of the colorism or the separation between colored and dark and Negro and black to white, and it was in it was in the, it was a law. Okay, it was in policy. We can't evade this and think that oh, all of a sudden white is just an ideology when you've been using it as a race. Now to get out of the white supremacy ideology that's been permeating, we're going to say now that well, white is not really a race, and that anyone can be white. And the most ironic thing about this all now is that by opening up the white card accessibility to other cultures, which are the majority, the minority majority, you're then giving these folks the, the white status over the Anglo-Saxons. So now the Anglo-Saxons who, who had any um, leaning towards, let's say, white supremacy, maybe not in the sense of annihilate other races, but like say, from the Europeans I've met, this sense of, of pride to um, carry on tradition as a white culture is going to be overrun by the real white supremacists that are coming in, taking on the ideology of what white means, which is a status or way of being, as opposed to being white, the color. Now, I find this topic very fascinating because it's the very topic that we've needed to have for a long, long time. And I bring this back again to our Afrocentric scholars. They were very instrumental in putting this information out there. And it was refuted in so many different ways you can't even begin to imagine. But, you know, Anderson Cooper or CNN can now say the truth and or put it out there in their version to start the conversation. And people are going to have the discussion. Whereas if it was a Negro person who said this, it would have been, oh, the absurdity of the Negro person. Oh, he doesn't like himself. He wants to be white or whichever. Let's take this back a couple years, maybe 2018. There's a young lady who appeared on Dr. Phil. Call it a sham. I have no idea why they did this. But for someone like myself in media, marketing, communications, I could tell right away there was a message there. I was like, OMG, they're telling us right here in this news story, which is a spin. It was a Negro woman or young lady who was going on Dr. Phil, apparently saying that she's not black, she's white. Technically, she's right. You know, if she's using the white supremacy status of the card, she's technically right. Okay. However, when you go into the story, this is where it got messed up. And this was a very terrible spin of a story because now we get into the race relations of her bashing Negro people in praise for Caucasian people. So the fact of the truth was there. She is not black right? She probably felt herself to be more white based on her conduct. And the only people she saw closest to this white behavior in terms of way of being were probably the Caucasian people she was around. It's a very deep twisted story. I love it. But if you've got time to do one-on-one -on -one with me or join one of the conversations, we can get more in depth with that, but I won't go any further with this. Um, and so they've done this a few back and forth. I guess I call it testing the masses and see where they are. 
And like, we fought this girl down. And I say we, I'm not going to exclude myself, but I wasn't part of it. But the collective mass of Negroes were like, how could you say something like this? Blah, 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 blah. And then it turned out that she came back and said it was all a lie or a joke or something. And I was just like, that's just very terrible, bad PR, bad marketing. Whoever did that um, type of media spin, it was very psychologically damaging to people. Like, you, you shouldn't do something like that. However, I picked up on it. And I realized they're telling us the truth, but we of the other Negroes aren't able to see it. I want to take you back to maybe a thousand years ago. I know we're going to travel, time travel. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. All right, here we go. We are there in the year, like maybe 1000. And we are over on the other side of the world, probably in Mali. And we're in the place where a lot of the Moors and the Arabs were very predominant and a lot of the writings you'll find that when they wanted to describe people who were of an upright stature who were let's say divine or um had this grace about them who had a higher elevated sense of being they were called white it was white and fair to be of upright character of moral righteousness this is what it meant to be white not even so much where they're taking it now in terms of um, a race card where anyone can use to have a status in a country or in the world. No, it actually meant to be of an upright character. That's what it meant to be white. And at this time, there was a lot more Negro people and the color black was called Sudan, El Sudan. Beautiful, right? Yes, El Sudan, it was the the color of black is al-Sudan and they loved it. The, the, the Sudan color was spoken about in Arabic languages as something of beauty when described of different people. And then they would get into their character as being white to match the al-Sudan. And this is what it meant to be white. Okay, so now that we're having this conversation about black and white, I think it's important that we get the right facts out there. To be upright was a way to be white. To be black was a way of carrying negative attributes towards oneself that sullied the white. This is really what we're battling with here. All right, it's more of a soul essence. Okay, the color black or anything associated with black it would have been in old english schwartz um some people have mentioned swarty okay and uh you heard it now you it was also called sable yes being sable makes us able and i want to give a shout out first of all a shout out to phyllis wheatley who um I came across her work and she used the word sable after I was questioning what's the real word for black. And I was so elated. And she wrote a poem called Out of Africa. And in it, she mentions the word sable in reference to Negro people. And I just loved it. So if we want to really use the correct terms outside of ourselves, we, there is sable. The scientific term for us is melanin, melanated. And so there are two options there. And you have the one that has been used historically and scientifically and, and anthropologically throughout history, and that is Negro. So if you want to kind of, I guess, have one word that would help 
follow the traces throughout history in the books, you'll find Negro as the word most prevalently used to help identify where we went. If we'd like to use one modern terms, uh, sable is still a classic word for black, and that would be identified with the real color. In terms of us being shades of browns, uh, it's up to you how you feel, right? But I would say once again, the word black, it does not connect with the color itself. It is more a way of a being of a character, just as white is a way of being of character. And so we need to really adjust these words and uh, reset them right. Okay. When it comes to the colors of people, I've mentioned El Sudan is the classic way that has been used. We also have Nubian, and uh, you can go into all the flavors of chocolates if you'd like as well to make it uh, palatable. And uh, you've heard about Sable, and I want to give thanks to Phyllis Wheatley for the lovely poem out of Africa that she wrote in the 1700s. In fact, I, I would call her the godmother of Afrocentric poetry, if that's possible. And um, so shout out to our godmother of Afrocentric poetry, uh, Phyllis Wheatley. Now, um, this comes to conclusion of this episode, which is really to touch on what's happening in the world and that we've come too far in 2021 to still have issues of not caring for society and people in the right way. The work that I'm doing as a systemic racism explorer, especially my field work in communities, is very challenging, especially when I have noticed many residents being um, neglected. And we have observed our elders that are falling. Um, many have been injured. Um, and you could only imagine what it's like to fall with like more tender bones. And so there's a lot of neglect that should not be at this day and time. The song we opened with was, they don't really care about us. That was 1996. And residents are still saying that today in 2021. I believe we are long past enough is enough. And it's due time for some right solutions that will bring the changes that matter. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tales from the HUD. I'm excited that you could have joined us. We look forward to you joining our conversation to be part of the future now. In case you haven't been to our website, visit www.letsresetnow.ca.